Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Follow us on the gram at IGJHood and at ESPN underscore Chicago. ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. What's up and welcome in Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood, weeknights at 7 here on ESPN 1000. The brand new ESPN Chicago app. Open phone lines for you. 312-332-ESPN. 332-3776 is our telephone number. Tyler Key on the other side of the glass. Tyler, you good? Oh, yeah. We're all good over here, Hood. I'm ready today. All right. Well, we got a lot to talk about here within the framework of our three hours. Summer football, by the way, is going to be at 8 o'clock. Um, we're going to be talking to Howard Griffith. Southside Zone, two-time Super Bowl champion. We'll hear from Howard Griffith in about an hour from now. Every night at 8 o'clock, I give you something football, something college, something pro, something fantasy, something gambling. You never know what it could be. Summer football, though, will be with Howard Griffith. We'll get his thoughts on the Bears and some college football in the Big Ten coming up in one hour from now right here on ESPN 1000. So here's a question. Are the Bears the best? Are the Bears the second best? Are the Bears the third best or the worst in the division right now coming into this season. And how can you determine that, right? Well, there's different factors that you can look at when you're trying to determine whether or not a team is going to be good or not. It's not necessarily the draft that we went through. It's not necessarily when the schedule came out, but it's about what you have on the field, what you have on your depth chart. And depth charts don't win championships, but depth charts will give you an idea of what you have on your roster, clearly, right? So when it comes to coaching, Matt LaFleur is the Green Bay head coach, and Matt Patricia is the head coach for Detroit, and Zimmer is the head coach for Minnesota. On offense, Green Bay has... A lot of weapons like Aaron Rodgers, a guy that if he stopped playing today, he would be a Hall of Famer. And Aaron Jones running the football and Devontae Adams as the wide receiver for the Packers. For Minnesota, there's players like Thielen and Rudolph and Dalvin Cook running the football. And Kirk Cousins is a quarterback. Whatever you think of Kirk Cousins, that guy still is trying to maintain and not embarrassing Minnesota offensively. He's been around for a long time. And I've always thought Minnesota just needs a quarterback to get them over the top. Well... Kirk Cousins has had a couple of cracks at it. We'll see what happens. Matt Stafford, along with Johnson and DeAndre Swift, running the football for the Detroit Lions. They've got Galladay and Marvin Jones and Amendola as wide receivers. So on paper, and Vegas will also tell you this as well, that the Lions will be improved this upcoming season. But you know the Lions always lying, right? So we don't know exactly what we're going to see. I just know that I'm impressed with some of the things they have on their roster. So the Vikings and the Packers were better than the Bears last year. The Bears were descending from 12-4 and four to 8-8. Eight and eight, And the Lions, as I mentioned, are the Lions. So on offense, are the Bears better than those teams in the division? So my outlook has always been this. And I've never wavered from this, but maybe you can look at it the way I look at it. And that is the following. As a Bears fan... I don't look at the Bears for how they measure up against Green Bay, because that's myopic. Hey, as long as we beat the Packers a couple times, we're right there in the mix. It's a good season for me. It's one thing to hate the Green Bay Packers as a fan. It's another to be able to win and win against other teams. I mean, Green Bay and the Bears, the rivalry is among the fans more so than on the field these days. You know how football has changed. It's more than just what the Bears do inside of the division. It's really about, for me, the NFC. 
Like, how do you measure the Bears versus teams like Dallas, for instance? When you think about the Cowboys, the number one storyline is whether or not Dak Prescott's going to get paid. That's the only storyline, along with Jerry Jones hiding in the bunker someplace. Uh, other than that, there's no major storylines because Dallas is set. Whether, whatever it's going to be this year, they're just trying to figure out, is it going to be four years or five years as far as their contract? But their roster is pretty much set to be able to win something this upcoming season. Philadelphia the same way. Philadelphia, strong front office, great front office, terrific coaching, uh, quality players on both sides of the football. The New Orleans Saints with Drew Brees, and that team has been being able to be in the precipice, in the mix, in the playoffs every year. A chance for the Super Bowl every year when they uh, take the field. San Francisco, a team we just saw in the Super Bowl against Kansas City. Who doesn't want Jimmy Garoppolo on their team for the very near future? Who wouldn't want uh, Kittle as a tight end? Who wouldn't want their offensive line? Who wouldn't want their defense? They have one of the best rosters in the NFL. Seattle, Tampa Bay uh, with uh, uh, Brady and Gronk now. All of a sudden, now Vegas is looking at Tampa as like one of these favorites, or they're going to take a giant step forward because the GOAT is now the quarterback uh, for the Buccaneers, and Gronkowski out of retirement, a, a quick 24-7 championship for Gronkowski in the WWE, and right back onto the football field, just to play with Brady one more time. So coaching and a coaching staff does matter. But what it comes down to is personnel. As you talk about the Bears in the NFL, with Jonathan Hood on Under the Hood on ESPN 1000. The Bears and their players believe they can get out of the doldrums of 8-8. Eight and eight. But what about the other teams that face the Bears? So, Tyler and I saw this piece. And I, I touched on it a little bit yesterday, but I want to have more time to talk to you about it and get your reaction to it. A piece that was on ESPN.com. Uh, the 2020 NFL roster rankings for all 32 teams. Uh, the Ravens are first, by the way, and the Jaguars are last. No spoilers, but I've been, Ben Lindsay wrote this on ESPN.com. So, Tyler, you saw this, and we saw like the ebb and flow of these teams. We saw Baltimore at number one. It's interesting because we just had Bernard Pollard, Super Bowl champion, former Raven, and an NFL analyst. He, you know, he didn't think very much of Lamar Jackson for the upcoming season. He thinks that teams will key in on him defensively. He might take a step back, but he's one of the future uh, players and quarterbacks for this league. So the Ravens are number one on this list as far as roster composition. This is how they rank it. Um, they're looking at offense and defense, and they look at the best rosters. And uh, we can make the argument about Lamar Jackson as a quarterback and how they, uh, the Ravens now have Ingram, who's a terrific running back, and now a kid from Ohio State, and, and J.K. Dobbins also running the football for the Ravens. Andrews is a tight end. Marquise Brown is a wide receiver. Calais Campbell now comes over to the Ravens to bolster an already pretty strong defense with Pernell McPhee, Marcus Peters, other players like that. So the Ravens at number one. The Saints are number two on this list with Drew Brees. We just talked about him. Kamara run the football. Michael Thomas. Look at that defense with Demario Davis. Malcolm Jenkins as a, as a safety. So they're number two. San Francisco, we just talked about. They're number three on this list with Jimmy Garoppolo. George Kittle is a tight end. Looking at Richard Sherman, uh, Hall of Famer at the cornerback spot. You look at uh, Mosley at another corner. Armstead, Bosa. They have so many terrific players. They deserve this number three spot. Four is Kansas City, who just won the Super Bowl with Patrick Mahomes at the quarterback. 
Um, and again, the arrow's still pointing up for him. He'll get his money at some point as well. With you know, Kelsey as a tight end, Tyreek uh, Hill as a wide receiver, uh, Chris Jones at defensive tackle. I mean, that's a, a complete team, solid team at number four and number five, Tampa. I think that's a little bit of a stretch, even though the the goat is there. They have Tampa Bay having the fifth best roster. So I'll ask you, Tyler, when you take a look at these top five. You know, I might have a problem with Tampa Bay, but you're talking about some of the best of the best. I think we just named them right there. No doubt you named them, but the thing that I'm a little on edge with is the ordering of them because I don't think that Baltimore has the most talented roster because there are some holes on that team and there are some unknowns on that team as well. The way that I see it, I think that when you look at a team like New Orleans or San Francisco, you just look and if you pull up the article, it kind of gives you the the colored breakdown of blue is these elite players, gray is the, the solid players, and then white is the below average players. I just see so much more that sticks out on these rosters like the Saints and the 49ers. I Don't get me wrong. Obviously, the Baltimore Ravens are going to probably win the AFC North again this season and probably have an 11 or 12 win season, maybe even more than that. But I just look at some of these rosters and you look across the board and I think they're stronger. But when you look at one through five in terms of the teams that are there, it, it, it's tough to make an argument against which teams are in that hunt right there. That's fair. That's, uh, Tampa, I still have a question Tampa about. Tampa is but, an interesting one. Tampa is yeah. one of those teams where it looks like if you're drafting fantasy guys, you're going to have a lot more Tampa Bay guys on your fantasy team yeah. than you're going to have on, than maybe some of these other teams. But again, fantasy players don't win NFL games necessarily. Some of these teams we just mentioned were NFC teams that the Bears will have to contend against. Not necessarily schedule-wise, but just in the same conference. So then we go through this column again, and again, it's from ESPN.com. 2020 NFL roster rankings for all 32 teams. Ravens first, Jaguars are last. So the Cowboys are sixth in this list. We just talked about what the Cowboys bring to the table this upcoming season. The Bills, with the arrow pointing up for them for Josh Allen, uh, looking at Stephon Diggs coming over from Minnesota. Uh, eight is Tennessee. Ryan Tannehill's got a huge contract. Derrick Henry's taken care of as a running back who was really the really the focal point of that offense, as we saw last year. A.J. Brown, a wide receiver. We see their defense. So the Titans are eighth. Eagles are ninth. And the Steelers are number 10 on this list. So we just gave you the top 10 as far as ranking the rosters. We move forward here, and there's the Browns. Many people believe that, and I'll use Vegas, and I'll use some of the pronosticators, will look at the Browns and say that things will change with the Browns, that they will actually finally come together. I I don't think so. I don't think that that's going to happen. They'll be, I think, incrementally better. Uh, but I don't believe that they're going to be a playoff team. If they are not, by the way, Baker Mayfield will be out. You can't just keep rolling in a, a clown car of coaches and believing that you got to find the right coach for Mayfield. No, maybe, maybe Mayfield's just not the right mix and not the right uh, choice for the Browns. We'll see. So the Browns are 11th on this list, and the Packers are 12. So I want you to think about this. As we go through this list, we finally got to an NFC North team. We went through the top 11, and now we finally land on Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers and Jones and Adams, as I just mentioned. Green Bay is number 12. Now, I just want to take a kind of a wide view at this, Tyler, with this being the Packers being 12. Do you know the hyperbole you hear every year when it comes to this division? Is boy, that's a real tough division, that NFC North. Look out. 
Look out. They're going to beat up on each other. Boy, look out. Boy, I tell you, that Lions team might come and get you, and that Bears defense and that Aaron Rodgers, and here comes Minnesota. The hyperbole of that has been a stretch for a while now because you um, you measure your team based on what you see in the conference. Green Bay is underachieved. Ask any average Packer fan about how they think about their team. They like it. Hey, listen. The reason why that as a Bears fan, you can look at the Packers and go, wow, they have Aaron Rodgers because the Packers are the hammer and the Bears are the nail. <laughs> so you, you get that, right? So so the Packers are 12th in this list, even though we went, went through another 11. We move forward and get to the Indianapolis Colts at 13. They still got to figure things out. Rivers, I think, is one and done at the quarterback spot, but they do have um, some good offensive linemen, a good enough defense. But they're 13. I think that's a fair number. Denver at 14, interesting. Um, when we take a look at Sutton at wide receiver, Drew Locke is their quarterback. This is make or break for Drew Locke, I think, this upcoming season as well. And then 15 is Seattle. 15 is Seattle with Russell Wilson. So we're still looking for more NFC North teams. We get to the Chargers at 16. Minnesota is at 17. Now, again, NFC North teams, 12 is Green Bay, and then Minnesota is at 17. Kirk Cousins we talked about. We talked about Cook. We talked about uh, Rudolph. Uh, Kendrick's at linebacker. uh, Anthony Harris at safety. So the point is that Minnesota and Green Bay, more than likely, will make the playoffs again unless there's some slippage that I'm not seeing. They seem like the two strongest teams in the North, as we saw last year. You move forward, and then there is the the Patriots at 18 with Jared Stidham. 19 is the Detroit Lions. And we talked about how many are a little bit more optimistic about the Lions based on its personnel. I like Matt Stafford. I'm a Georgia fan, so I saw Matt Stafford. I never thought he'd be this good from a number standpoint um, that he's put up, but he's got Three quality running backs on this roster. If they can't run the football now, they'll never run the football. Okay? I don't expect any, like Kerryon Johnson or DeAndre Swift to be Barry Sanders anytime soon, but the point is that they should be able to run the football better. Galladay, Jones, Amendolas, wide receivers, you know, decent enough defense with Trey Flowers. And then number 20 is Atlanta. Now, what's missing? We already named the other three teams in the NFC North, but where's the Bears? We'll try to find the Bears in this list coming up next as you're listening to Under the Hood. You're listening to Under the Hood. Get the ESPN Chicago app for podcasts and the live stream from anywhere, anywhere, anywhere. Download in the app store today. This is ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. We'll talk to Howard Griffith from the Big Ten Network coming up at 8 o'clock right here on ESPN 1000. As part of Summer of Football, we do every single night at 8 o'clock. We give you something football. Tonight we hear from Howard Griffith from the Big Ten Network coming up at 8 right here on ESPN 1000. If you're just joining us, we're talking about the story that was on ESPN.com regarding the 2020 NFL roster rankings for all 32 teams. And again, um, it, it is... A number of writers coming together, looking at the best of the best in the NFL. And for me, watching the Bears, like you watch the Bears, or watch the Packers, the Lions, or the Vikings, you're just trying to figure out, well, how does your team measure up? And I love a list. Who doesn't love a list, especially during a pandemic? Who doesn't love a list? So I, I look at the top teams, 
And the Ravens were number one on this list as far as roster composition, the best roster. I went to the NFC North, and I found the Packers 12th out of this list. We moved forward, and we found the Vikings. The Vikings are on this list, but they are 17th, followed by the Lions at 19. And we're thinking, okay, 19 teams I just named earlier on, and you're trying to figure out, okay, so after 19, where are the Bears? Are they a top 15 team? Clearly not. Are they a top 20 team? Well, no, because the Falcons are number 20. Are they a top 25 team? Because if they weren't, boy, we are really talking about a team that's not going anywhere. So you scroll down a little bit more on this column, and you find the Bears at number 21. And as it's written here, with the return of Akeem Hicks from injury uh, and the upgrade from Leonard Floyd to Robert Quinn at the edge defender spot opposite Khalil Mack, the Bears should have one of the best defensive fronts in the NFL. Uh, even in a down year by the standards in 2019, Mack still uh, earned an overall grade of 86.2. They talk about the biggest weaknesses. Chicago finished in the 2019 season, ranked 25th in Pro Football Focus's end-of-the-year offensive line rankings after a year that saw it allow pressure of 2.37 seconds on average. Just I want to be able to underline that just for a second. 25th on the offensive line allowing pressure in 2.37 seconds on the average. That's 29th in the NFL ahead of only the Dolphins, the Chargers, and the Falcons. So if you have any questions about the offensive line, that number tells you all you need to know. I'm not like an overly uh, crazy when it comes to the numbers, but there are certain numbers that you see that you just it stands out to you and you say, okay, all right. It shows you that there is issues on this offensive line. I talked to J.D. about this a few months ago, and he said, I'm concerned about the entire offensive line for the Bears. So it makes sense. Um, so the Bears are 21st. And so when we look at this list, that means that the Bears are have the worst roster amongst the teams in the NFC North. How does that taste? How does that taste? The Bears have the worst roster in the NFC North. Tyler, let's open the phone lines. At 312-332-ESPN, 332-3776 is our phone number. I personally believe that the Bears have the one of the best defensive fronts out there and have a number of defensive players because that's actually the strength of the team because we, we can break it down, but we all know the roster, but I'm just going to give you a little bit of a refresher of what we're going to see here this upcoming season. But, Tyler, open the phone lines because I want to ask the question to you, the Bears fan, whether or not you feel just in the north – do you think that the Bears have the worst roster in the division? Is it is is it the best? Is it second? Is it third? Is it the worst? Because on this list, it has the Bears having the fourth best roster or the worst roster in the NFC North. That says a lot about what the Bears have been trying to build with Ryan Pace. If you think that this is a, a shot at Ryan Pace, well, it is. Because when you're in the position to be a general manager, 12-4 and and a very charmed season for the Bears, especially defensively, that's great. But then 8-8 eight and eight is unacceptable because you don't know exactly what direction you want to go. I always say when you're in the middle, 8-8 eight and eight really sucks. You could be Jacksonville or you can be Kansas City because at least you know where you're going, right? But when you're in the middle, it's really difficult to determine what's next.
When you're horrible, you know what's next. You got to get better. When you're at the top of your game, one of the top teams, you say, okay, we just have to be able to maintain and get better the next season. But when you're in the middle, it's kind of scary because you don't know which way you're going to fall. And so this is why if you're a Bears fan, you got to be thinking, okay, so which way will this season happen? Like, is this going to get better? Nine and seven, 10 wins to be able to be competing with the Vikings and the Packers in the NFC North, or will this go the wrong direction? And once again, that's just looking at the division. I always look at the entire conference because you have to figure whether it's Mitchell Trubisky or whether it's Nick Foles, does do either one of these quarterbacks really are they are they even able to measure up to some of these really strong teams in the NFC? Dallas, Philadelphia, New Orleans, San Francisco, Seattle, Tampa Bay with Brady and Gronk. Are the Bears even in the same stratosphere with some of these better teams in the NFC? See, that's a more wide ranging picture. That's something I'm more comfortable with because it's not about the Packers. It's about whether or not the Bears can be one of the best teams in the conference. Can they compete against the big boys? Bears are not, I know they're not one of the big boys, and they're not the worst. And this is why 8-8 was their record last year. That's why it sucks. Nick Foles or Trubisky. If I open the phone lines down and say Foles or Trubisky, which one you'd want, I'd have probably 90% of you saying that you'd want to have something different in Nick Foles. Nick Foles can win. Nick Foles also is temporary. Montgomery and Cohen at the running back spot. Now we want to see whether or not Montgomery can be able to have the ball more so. Matt Nagy fell on his sword over the last few weeks talking about how they need to run the football more. We will see. Is that lip service or will we actually see the best of Montgomery this upcoming season? When it comes to the weapons, that tight end, well, I mean, Jimmy Graham is on this football team. He's one of the tight ends on this football team. One of eight Nine that we might see on the roster. I think they'll kind of bring that down by the time we get to the season. And then you take a look at the wide receiver spots, Al Robinson, and I'll put a pen in Anthony Miller. I'll say this now, and I will say this before the season starts. The key to the offense is Anthony Miller. Because it is one thing to look at Allen Robinson as ah, top 10 wide receiver. If he's top 10, I'll have him at 10. If he's top 15, I'll have him in between 11 and 15. But he's still the number one receiver on this football team no matter what. And I can't depend on Cole Komet to be able to just be just this awesome wide, uh, awesome tight end uh, in year one. It's going to take some time. He's going to develop in the position. I think he's going to be fine, but not just this upcoming season. I think he'll be working well on this offense eventually. But... I'm going to put a pin in Anthony Miller and tell you that Anthony Miller is so important for this Bears offense because here's a guy here that needs to be able to, number one, be healthy. But number two, be someone that Trubisky or Foles can rely on. You just can't have one wide receiver out there and say you can be able to win a Super Bowl. You need several weapons. Hopefully, Miller can be that guy. We talk about the Bears with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. I know Ted Ginn's on this team as well, 34-35. Again, the Bears really had no value of the wide receiver spot here in the offseason. So that's why they go to the Swapalama and they pick up Ted Ginn Jr. I mean, come on now. I mean, it's the the NFL is about speed. The NFL is about offense, and you want to be able to get the best of the best as as well as you can. And they picked up Ted Ginn Jr. All right, cool. The offensive line is still an issue, as I talked about. JD is concerned about not just Leno, 
uh, not just Daniels and White here, not just Effetti and Massey. He's concerned about all of those guys on this offensive line. Less than three seconds for Trubisky to throw the football. That's a problem, for sure. And the defense as well. The defense, let's talk about them for a second, for just a brief second. So, I believe that the time is short for the Bears to do whatever they're going to do. How long can this defense really hold up and the offense can't get out of its own way? How long can the defense hold up? While the Bears' pass rush is up there as one of the best in the league, their secondary has taken a massive hit over the last couple of seasons, right? There's a number of of players you look at in the secondary and say, okay, I can roll with Kyle Fuller, but I don't know what Jalen Johnson is. Buster Screen did not rate well. He did not. He played okay and was covered up by some other solid play from a secondary standpoint from Eddie Jackson as well as Kyle Fuller. But uh, is Buster Screen a guy that you can depend on down in and down out? I see that Gibson is part of this team as well at the safety spot. But Eddie Jackson and Kyle Fuller are top-tier players, but they can't do it by themselves. And defensive backs are the most valuable players in the defensive side of the football. If your safety is not, if one of your safeties is not strong or or a difference maker, okay, you got Eddie Jackson to kind of be the elixir to the issue. But once again, you knew regression was going to be inevitable with this football team, losing some of the marquee guys in the secondary, but that makes it worse. This is not a Vic Fangio to a Chuck Pagano situation. It's about personnel. It's not about coaches you know and you're comfortable with. It's about personnel. It's also about trying to catch lightning in a bottle in the NFL. You can have a good roster. It's the ones that we just talked about. Tyler talked about how he's good with the Ravens being one of the top teams, but maybe not number one. You know what? Tyler's, Tyler's right. They could be number one, but if they're not, they're still going to be one of the top teams, and they do have a solid roster, and they have youth. Bears don't have a lot of that on their side. Khalil Mack is a terrific player. So is Robert Quinn. But you got to think about the very near future. If you don't win now, when will you win? So we'll open the phone lines to you, 312-332-ESPN, 332-3776 is our phone number. I put that on the poll as well, at ESPN1000, Tyler. Like, so do the Bears have the best roster in the NFC North, second best, third best, or the worst? in the NFC North, because according to this piece on ESPN.com, the Bears are 21st overall, which makes them the worst, uh, they have the worst roster in the NFC North and in the NFL. That says a lot. 21st. There's other teams that are not very good on this list that I saw, but the Bears are 21st, which makes them last in the NFC North, and don't even put them in the top 20. What does that say about the future for the Bears? Do you know that there has to be a lot of career years, a lot of heads turning in order for the Bears to be able to compete this year? And I like the defensive side of the football, but you need to have some career years offensively for this Bears team. So what do you think of the roster? 312-332-ESPN is our phone number. We'll get your phone calls in here. Also, we celebrate Vince Sanity. He's retiring. We'll talk about that as well as we move forward right here on UTH. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Follow on Twitter at TweetJHood. Coming up on July the 6th, July 6th, this show moves to 6 o'clock, 6 o'clock Chicago time, right after Waddle and Sylvie. 
as we start the baseball show right here on ESPN 1000, hosted by yours truly. Looking forward to that, um, being able to break down and preview the Cubs, Sox, and everything else, Major League Baseball. So if you're a baseball fan, you can look for me uh, on starting on the 6th of July, starting at 6 p.m. with the baseball show uh, right here on ESPN 1000. Uh, don't forget, you still get your Under the Hood show. You'll still get our thoughts on everything else in sports, but baseball specifically, we'll have it for you every night at 6 o'clock right here on uh, Chicago's Home for Sports. We will uh, have summer football coming your way at the top of the hour at uh, 8 o'clock right here on ESPN 1000. Uh, so you heard me go through this, Tyler, as far as the best of the best in this column that we read from ESPN.com and trying to determine where the Bears are amongst the best, not just in the NFC North, but in the NFC. And I said, when I look at the Vikings and the Packers, I just cannot turn a blind eye to them. I think, once again, the Bears, because of what they have defensively, is at least third on that list. I'm impressed by the offensive weapons by the Lions. I just don't know what to expect. My thing is, when you compare all of these rosters, look at the important positions, too. When you look at quarterback, offensive line, pass rush, secondary, I mean, those are the positions that win you most of your games. And when you look at the Bears in comparison to a lot of these other teams in the NFC North, I mean, look, the Bears have the fourth-best quarterback. It doesn't matter who's going to be the starter. They have the fourth-best quarterback in the division. Mm-hmm. They probably also have the fourth-best offensive line in the division. So from the offensive side of the ball, you're starting at a tremendous deficit. Sure, the defense is great, but at the same time, you're only as good, especially in the NFL, as your weakest link. And the Bears' weakest link are in the most important position. So that's why, for me, when I look at the roster composition that the Bears have, and sure, when you look at these grades and stuff like that, you shouldn't be taking them as gospel. Both you and I know Kyle Fuller and Eddie Jackson are not below average at their positions. They're closer towards elite than they are below average. But... When you only have one side of the ball holding up their end of the bargain and on the other side of the ball, it's a complete deficit, then yes, the Bears are the fourth best roster in this division because they are weak at some of the most important positions, and you just can't look past that. Well, I, I guess when we look at the, the offensive side of the ball, even if Foles was, and I think on this list they had Foles as a quarterback, you could tell it didn't matter. Because, yeah, exactly. Because, I mean, because because I thought I looked down and it's like it's, they don't even have Trubisky as a starter; they have Foles, and more than likely, maybe Nick Foles will have the the lion's share of the time as a quarterback for this uh, for this season. We'll see. He won't start the season. I predict that he won't start the season. Trubisky has to fail in the job in order for Foles to get on the field or injury. That's what I believe. This will not be a real quarterback competition. They don't want to hurt Trubisky's feelings. He, he wants the TVs turned off at Alts Hall. So it's going to be Trubisky first, I believe, coming out of camp. And he's got to fail in order for that to happen. Even though the schedule seems favorable in the first three or four for the Bears, we will see. But you are, you are right in this regard. I always talk about how this is an offensive league where the officiating is tailored toward the offense, the game is tailored toward offense, uh, Cadell wants more points on the board. So it's about offense. If the Bears are only averaging 16, 17 points a game with a rickety offensive line, with one real weapon in, in Robinson, and again, I like what the Lions look like on paper. It's just like, I don't know... I don't know if Stafford can stay healthy. I don't know if they're going to run the football effectively. They should. I like their wide receivers, but the, you're right. The offensive line, 
is the worst for the Bears in the North. And then when we take a, a bigger view of it, when we take a look at the the entire NFC, I'm, I'm checking off all these teams that are good in the NFC, and it's like the Bears lag behind even further. So that that's really troublesome. And again, 8-8 eight and eight tells you all you need to know. When you're average like that, uh, then it just shows you that your team's average because you don't have enough weapons offensively. You had enough to survive to be 500, but that doesn't get you where you need to be. And on top of that, too, listen, I even though I say the Bears have the fourth best roster, that doesn't mean I think they're the fourth best team. I think they're the third best team because at the end of the day, culture remains king. And the Bears, I think, while it's not some pristine level of culture, it's not a Matt Patricia-led show where we've got our laminated play call sheets and our pencils in our ear. This is a team with the Bears where even though they do have some deficiencies, they can be masked to a certain degree. Of course, obviously, the offense can be masked in a sense because this team has a great defense, an elite defense, and sometimes they do set up short fields for that team or they do get pivotal stops late in the game. So I do think that the Bears do a better job at masking some of those deficiencies than some of the other teams in the division do. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. So it's officially done. He said it on his podcast, winging it with uh, Vince Carter. He says uh, he's officially done playing professional basketball. Let's go back and go through some of the memories of the 22-year career of Vinsanity. Insanity. So many great moments with him dunking the basketball and just playing great ball. You heard a little Chuck Swirsky there because he used to be the voice of the Toronto Raptors, Air Canada. Yeah, Vince Carter was tremendous. And after 22 years, he is hanging it up. And you think about some of the all-time greatest dunks. Like for me, or dunkers, you know, Michael Jordan was a, a great dunker. One of the, I think the best of all time. Dominique is right there at a 1A for me. But Vince Carter, though... Now, if, if you grew up watching Vince Carter or reading about him like in Slam Magazine or watching those games, especially in-game dunking, 
Vince Carter's windmill windmill on an alley oop. You saw Vince Carter dunking on Alonzo Mourning. You saw Vince Carter with an alley oop against the Clippers, uh, dunking on D Brown. I've seen. I went through Tyler like this um, treasure trove of dunks on YouTube, and uh, you know I can't help it. You you watch Vince Carter and his career dunks three sixty windmill against the Cavaliers. In-game dunker or competition dunker, Carter is right there in the, con- in the conversation. He was terrific. I mean, you can go down endless rabbit holes. I think I even saw a video on YouTube. It's a hundred of the greatest Vince Carter dunks. How many players can say <laughs> they have a hundred? So, some players can't even get a hundred in-game dunks, let alone they have a list of top 100. That means show-stopping a hundred dunks. It just doesn't exist. And I think the thing that's fascinated me the most about Vince Carter's career, think about guys who have to play above the rim, like Vince Carter mm-hmm. obviously did, for especially in the beginning of his career. But those guys don't last. Those guys, you see them hang it up early usually. And now there are some exceptions to the rule. But, I mean, when you look at a guy who played 22 years in the NBA and you're putting that wear and tear on your knees. Now, obviously, Vince Carter, once he hit pretty much age 35, 36, wasn't the same Vince Carter that he was in his 20s where he could average over 20 points per game. But the fact that he could prolong his career and still there's a desire to have him on an NBA roster at age 40, 41, 42, 43, and you have all that taxing on your knees – that to me always spoke volumes with how he prolonged his career in that oh, yeah. in that aspect. Just 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 terrific. You think about all the great dunkers, Dominique Wilkins, Michael Jordan, Kobe, um, Sean Kemp, Julius Irving, of course, going way back. Jason Richardson, we just brought his name up yesterday. Um, and Larry Rich is an underrated one. Yeah. We just talked about him because we just reviewed the 2001 draft. Sean and I just went through and we redrafted 2001. And we had Richardson in the top 10 because he was, those Golden State dunks were just tremendous. So, and LeBron in the modern day. So there's, there's so many, but Vince Carter, just, I remember the story of Vince Carter uh, wanting to go in a slam dunk competition with, Tracy McGrady, his cousin. And McGrady's like, I, I don't want to do this. And, you know, Vince just kept saying, like, come on, T-Mac, it'd be great family. Uh, you know, we're taking on one another. We're in a slam dunk competition. And, like, Tracy just like, no, nah, I'm, just, I'm just not as good as you. I just don't want to do this. And Vince Carter finally, finally told T-Mac, come on, man, please. If it's going to only happen once, let's just do it once. And that is Vince Carter, I believe, in that same slam dunk competition, just dominated everybody. And just like T-Mac was like, man, why did you embarrass me? I told you I didn't want to be in the (laughs) slam dunk competition. And Vince was like, oh, I didn't know. Listen, anything could have happened when you knew that Vince Carter was going to be able to be that good. Uh, but T-Mac was begging out, please, was tapping out, please, I don't want to be in any competition for dunking with you. Because he knew that Vince was, was great. 22-year career. I went to Basketball Reference, one of my favorite websites, to find out where Vince is amongst the best in his 21-year career. Now, again, very few had a 21-year career, but he walks with, from a number standpoint, from a number standpoint. Are we talking total points, total assists? Okay. Everything. Win shares, everything. Vince Carter walks with Terry Porter, who was with Portland, Eddie Jones, Allen Iverson, Tony Parker, Hal Greer from back in the day, Jeff Hornacek, uh, Ray Allen, Manu Ginobili, Jason Kidd, and Steve Nash. Uh, Those are all great players, every single one of them. And so Vince Carter... 
definitely he can walk into the Hall of Fame today and be able to be that guy. I also want to take my hat off to him because what he want what he did, Tyler, is he wanted to make sure that in order to stay in the league, I got to be able to play some semblance of defense. I got to be able to stay in front of my man, and I got to be better at the three point shot. You even though, as you mentioned, you take a look at his career, say around when he was with Dallas. 2011, 2012, he's 35. And you're like, uh, that, you know, we saw his best with Toronto and then he's with New Jersey for a few years. But at that point in time, when he's 35, he was saying that I've got to be able to do what I can to stay on the floor. You know, that man played 81 games back to back years in 2012 and 2013 at age 36 and 37. There's a time in the NBA when you, when you're 36, 37, you never see the floor or you come out in garbage time, or you're that old, you know, that old guy that is really tough in practice. And chant They're, your name trying to get you in the game at the end. Yeah, yeah. And and it's a longer topic, but I'll make it short. There I talked to Stacey King about this before too. This is this might predate you, but there was a time where you would try to find an old guy to be in the, on the bench. I know roster spots are a lot, a lot, you know, a lot very valuable now in 2020. You want to make sure you have a number of guys that you can rely on if you need to, you know, break glass, bring this guy, this young guy in that doesn't get a lot of time. But there used to be a time where you'd get an old guy that was 39, 40, and put him in the locker room to be a policeman. Right, he'd be in there to be able to just talk to young players, let them know the do's and don'ts. You know, get a little playing time here and there, maybe, you know, not, not meaningful playing time, but a little bit. But it was always valuable to have an old goat in there to talk to them, to almost being like a second or third assistant coach. I, I remember you talking about that when you had Rick Mahorn on during the last dance, and he was talking about how he, the Bulls even tried to get him to be that guy for him mm-hmm. once upon a time. And uh, there was Robert Parrish and Buddha Edwards and all those guys, but... That's interesting that you bring that up because obviously the the dynamic has shifted, especially now when we're in this quote-unquote load management era. And that 12th guy may have to actually show up once in a while. And I think that 12th guy, with the way that kids play basketball these days and and the AAU circuits and the extensive training that goes on just beyond the the college season or, or the high school season itself, that 12th guy on the bench now is way better than that 12th guy was 10, 15, 20 years ago. And you may, you may need him to show up one game and get you like 10 points off the bench because, yeah. the, I mean, you need 12 guys who can play basketball at all well, times on your roster. It's, it's different now, but back then, you needed him to be a policeman in the locker room, but also it, it stops from, because you know how this is, right? In today's NBA, you want to get young players and you want to get them at 19, 20, 21 years old. So there are teams like Sacramento and Phoenix in the in the past where your whole roster is filled with guys and the oldest guy in the team is like 23, 24. And guess what they've been doing the whole time? Losing their ass. Losing night after night. Oh, we lost the game? Cool. Next plane, next hotel, next party. Oh, we lost in this road trip? Okay, cool. Next plane, next hotel, next party. Well, you got a couple of veterans in there and all of a sudden now, those veterans are telling those young players, look, I know you know how to lose. Now let me show you how to win. <laughs> That's yeah. important. And so when I look at the end of 
Vince's career because he went to a bunch of different teams that were losers. So you look at Dallas, Memphis, Sacramento, Atlanta. Yeah, bad. I want to see how all those teams are these next couple of years because some of those guys had the Vince influence, especially Atlanta, because that's a roster that can be good, but the culture that's in place there is just abysmal. Well, when your oldest guy is 24, 25, all he knows is losing. And, right. he just, and he knows where the spots are to party. He knows where the women are. He knows where, you know, whatever they, the extracurricular is. They, but they, but they, do they know how to win? Do they know the work ethic? And that's the value of having an old old goat, an old veteran uh, in, in your locker room. Uh, still to come, we'll have summer football. Howard Griffith of the Big Ten Network will be with us coming up at 8 o'clock as you're listening to Under the Hood. This is Chicago's Home for Sports. Stream ESPN 1000 easily on the all-new ESPN Chicago app. You're listening to Under the Hood on ESPN 1000. When it comes to the Bulls, I'm happy that there is going to be some change uh, in the front office with Arturis Karnaschovas as well as Mark Eversley. That's a good thing for the, the Bulls because it was time for something new. Many of you talk to me about fire guard packs and now that's happening right now that's happening now you're getting something completely different and so not only are the bulls changing but the knicks are changing as well so it is uh i'm i'm interested in finding out what the knicks look like uh, the, for the next few years because even though james dolan is the worst owner in sports the worst owner uh in the nba for sure they are bringing in uh, some heavy hitters here to try to run the organization. I will always tell you this, no matter who's in a suit and tie, if your personnel is substandard, you get what you deserve. And the, you know, as much as we have consternation and hand wringing about the bulls around here, the Knicks are even worse. You got a problem with Jerry Reinsdorf. Look at Dolan, the Knicks, a team that should be in the mix. The league would be better if the Knicks were better, right? The, the Knicks, Chicago, Detroit, some of these markets here are, are not, doing what they need to do in order to be one of the top teams uh, in the uh, in the East. It would be it would help the league a lot better, but they have underachieved. Let's go back in here now in, in time. Jay Williams talking about the biggest free agent move the Knicks have made. Well, you're going to see me at Knicks games this year. You're going to see me at the Garden. And when I tell you Not World Wide West is the best free agent hire, I think, in the history of the Knicks organization. I, mm. I'm just going to tell you, from Might somebody be right. who's been around basketball and in the streets of basketball, Stephen A. Smith, we're both alluding to the same thing. We know how this game works. And when I tell you there is somebody like World Wide West who is sung about in Drake songs, by the way, in Drake songs, okay, the most connected individual in the history of basketball. Now, question. I'll say it for you, Stephen A., not arguably. Sure. He is the most connected individual. And let me tell you how World Wide West works. James Dolan might go out and say things from time to time that may put the, the interest of the organization at hand to a degree. But World Wide West is the person that has so many touch points, high touch points with individuals who have influence. So from a player perspective, he's going to get everybody on the phone at will when he wants. He's going to get people to buy into the bigger picture. It's about championships. It's about personnel. 
But that is the right move for the Knicks. Just like the Bulls made the right move by getting, I believe, Eversley, who worked at Nike for a decade, uh, got into the front office and, and now working with the Bulls, and Carter Shelvis coming in over from Denver. But the Knicks hired CAA's William Wesley, Worldwide West, as vice president and senior basketball advisor. That took place uh, today. Wesley uh, has been a consultant in the coaching division of CAA for 13 years, and now he works with new Knicks president Leon Rose. No matter who the owner is, if you have a culture that you can set, um, if you're World Wide West or if you're Leon Rose, that means the organization is in the right direction. But it, again, it comes down to who wants to play uh, for the Knicks. You, your selling point cannot be Madison Square Garden for, because to a millennial, that's just another building, another spot on the road. Oh, you're in New York City, great. But Brooklyn is the spot now for younger people. The Knicks, if they're going to make some noise, it, it will help the league. Chicago's got to be good. Detroit's got to be good. Uh, but when it comes to World Wide West, it is true. He's very connected. If he can't help the Knicks, if Leon Rose can't help the Knicks, the Knicks cannot be saved. Summer of football with Howard Griffith. If you're a Big Ten fan, t- turn up your radio. He'll be with us in two minutes right here on UTH.